This episode is sponsored by PuttView Books. These are some of the best yardage books out there. So whether you're headed to your next tournament at a course you've never played at, or you're just looking to get a little more info at your home course that you play every day, you're going to want to check these out. There's two cool things you need to know. One is the green maps. These are some really detailed info on the greens that you're headed into. So you know the slopes before you even get there. And you can look at the pin position and kind of understand what's going on. I really like the kind of heat map almost look that you can see. Really clear, really simple very useful. The other thing I like is some of the info that you get off the tee. So with the yardages to carry and then some of the rollout info as well. Plus what does the ground look like in the fairway? Which way are things going to run off as well? So really good info on both those things. Clear, well-designed. Design is important to me and I like the design of these quite a bit. So you're going to check these out, puttviewbooks.com, over 30,000 courses worldwide. I bet they're going to have what you're looking for when you plug in that golf course. You're definitely going to check these out, puttviewbooks.com, so you're more prepared the next tournament you're headed into. We're on a mission to help golfers from all over the world achieve their goals by understanding what it actually takes to play their best golf. We're talking with leading instructors, researchers, and players themselves to find what is actually working. Hey, thanks for joining us today. You are listening to one of our partner shows. It is the Tour Coach Podcast with Tony Ruggiero. He has some phenomenal guests on talking about teaching tour pros. He'll have his players on. Just always a great show. Today was another great episode. I want to share that with you here on the Golf Science Lab Podcast. Let's get into it. Joining me now on the tour coach is another one. I'm driving with my dog Chip Shot for the day down to the Keys. We're on a long drive, so I thought I'd spend some time and talk to some of the people that make a difference in the world of golf and a difference in instruction and people I respect and admire the most. And this one certainly fits that bill. From up in Canada, I've followed him for years on Facebook. And my favorite thing about him is his cooking expertise and the food and the wine that he likes to drink. But uh, one of the great coaches in the game of golf, certainly one of the, the best in Canada. And uh, we've had the opportunity from time to time to sit and talk golf instruction. And we've, it seems we've got lots in common. Mr. Rob Holding. Rob, what you doing, buddy? Hey, Tony. Thanks for having me on your show. One of the people I respect most in the industry. You could go about your business pretty quietly and do a great job, and it's good to hear from you and, and catch up and see what you're up to, too. Well, you know, not many people go about their business quietly in this business anymore, whether that's good or bad, but it doesn't happen much. Well, I just mean you don't you don't sing your own praises like a lot of people, right? Yeah, <laughs> you're, no, you're, no. You're, I, per, you're, you're pretty humble. You're pretty humble about your accomplishments is what I meant. I told uh, an agent the other day, my guy that helps me, I said, if I ever put a post up that calls attention to how many players I got in a field, <laughs> I said, would you shoot me? <laughs> Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, and I said somebody asked me why I don't put that many videos up of when I'm at a tour event, and I was like, this will sound funny, but like I did it once, and everybody missed the cut, so I felt like I jinxed them by talking about them before. So I was like, everybody, everybody knows who the hell I teach. I'm gonna leave them alone during a tournament week. But um, look, one of the things that I love about you and what you do is, you know, I'm fortunate to teach some guys that play for a living, but my passion is developing young people and turning them into not only as good of players as we can and 
I mean, you know, we've both been fortunate to teach some folks that have gone on to play for a living and develop them. And I think that's a special art. And not only that, I think that's I think that's one of the most important things a teacher can do because not only to become great players, but I think you help them become great men and women, which I think is way more important than the golf aspect of it. And so that's the part I really wanted to start talking about with you. I mean, I watch, obviously, your Facebook stuff. I don't comment a ton on things because I don't like the way some people argue and all that shit. But, like, I love what you're doing with juniors. I want you to talk a little bit about the process that you have that turns out so many young folks that can really play the game. Well, that indeed is where my passion has been for, how I would say, since 1998, uh, realistically in 2000. I've always enjoyed sports, and I've always enjoyed the idea of helping people. Even as a youngster, I would I would be the kid that would be out there trying to help somebody throw a football better or how to play hockey better or do whatever I could to help the team, you know, get the weak guy to play better. That's kind of my nature. And then I, I got right. in, I got in the food business, actually, accidentally, but I got stuck in it for about 17 years. And the last part of my, my career was actually spent in human resources development, and uh, I learned a lot. There I went to school, uh, took some great courses, and uh, about people management. So all of those things combined sort of, you know, is, a, I guess, one of the reasons why this guy has turned out to be fairly successful teaching golf. I also love golf, and I wanted to play golf. Certainly a lot more fun than working in the restaurant. <laughs> but, uh, and then the other benefit of that, of course, is that I became a decent cook. So... <laughs> For those of you that don't know, we have a forum called Golf Pros That Cook. It's now about 900 members. and uh, it's I think it's food. the best golf forum out there. I think it's by far <laughs> the most entertaining and informative golf, golf forum out there. <laughs> well, I agree. I agree. Thank you very much. And uh, that started as a, as a bit of a lark. We were at the PGA show. Uh, we had a big table of 25 people. And uh, it turns out that they all love wine and they love food. So, you know, I said, well, we should, you know, maybe we should start a group. So I did. And it's just, it's just growing. I think it's been going seven or eight years now. But in any case, uh, back to, back to junior golf. In 2000, I just looked around and I didn't see any programs in the Vancouver area or mainland that were set up to develop elite players. There were lots of, there was lots of instruction going on, but there wasn't really anything. No one was really doing anything that you might think of as an intense elite type of training that I was accustomed to when I was a kid to play elite, elite level in sports. I was really big in track and field. I was on the Canadian Olympic track and field team when I was 14 to 16 years of age. So I really had a good insight how hard really excellent athletes have to train to be good and be world class. Mm-hmm. And so all of those things combined, uh, I, I took all my past experience and set up uh, a seminar at uh, a theater and we had about 220 families show up and out of the 220 families I I had I brought in a a really good trainer brought in a psychologist I brought in another teacher and myself and we talked for about an hour and a half hour 45 minutes about what high-level golf looks like and how to train as a junior and what do you think happened we walked out of there that night with 20 people signing up immediately. And wow. this was this was October, right? So <laughs> not probably I, golfing. I, 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 yeah. So I started so we had a, a, a program essentially in the following years it's always started in September, right around when school starts, but it, it, in that year, the first year it started in October. The kids were coming three times a week 
through the winter, and uh, I had an assistant teacher, and it was fantastic. It had a really good buzz to it. Right? Everybody knew why they were there. They were there to be great players, and uh, they, they worked hard. They played games together, compete together. They go to the gym together. The psychologist sits them down once a month, has talks with them as a group, and then can talk to them individually. And out of that group, three, four, actually, national champions emerged <laughs> eventually. And, and, uh, and some pretty, hot, pretty nice scholarships. So I really enjoyed that. And uh, I thought to myself, if I wanted to stay in the golf business, I needed to have a way of being busy all year round coming from Canada. Vancouver, we're pretty fortunate. We don't, it's like Seattle weather. We don't, the snow, we get snow, but it doesn't usually stick around. But it is cold and it is wet and it's not the best of playing conditions. But a lot of the time we're able to play right through the winter. This winter was, was yeah. like that. And so that was a lot of fun. We enjoyed it. And in those days, you know, we all had the mindset that juniors would get financial break on lessons. And after a few years of doing this and having a lot of success, I realized that there was a lot of value to what we were doing <laughs> for the families. Right. They're, they're getting $100,000, $180,000 scholarships. <laughs> and so, right. so uh, you don't necessarily have to do this for less than you do an adult lesson. And eventually it became so strong that I actually charged more for juniors than I did for adults. And I'm just sharing this with the golf teachers out there because you don't start there, right? You gotta you gotta work your way to get there. But don't be shy. If you have a great product and you can pretty much guarantee delivery, you do what I ask you to do, you practice the way you're supposed to practice, you will have success. We will do whatever we can to stand behind that player. If you go out and you suck and you're sucking, you know, for two or three weeks in a row, I wanna go on the golf course with you. I wanna see what's happening. And and ninety nine percent of the time when I go on the course, what I see is a failure to follow uh, the plan, they're, 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 they're drifting away from uh, their pre-shot routines. They're, they're not really focusing on their target. They're, they're thinking about their golf swing and what's wrong with it. And basically, mentally, they're, they're just not in the right place to play to their ability. And that's probably true of a tour player that's not performing well, too. Their mindset is just not, not where it is when it's a happy place. So, anyway, that's what we do now. Eventually... I ended up, I ran that program for a few years, and I had great success. I was able to make some pretty good money, and I started working half the time. I started working on my own game. Uh, I was about 48 years old then, and I gave myself two years to prepare for the Champions Tour. And it was a really high goal. I'd never done anything like that before. Didn't really have a ton of playing experience as a a high-level golfer, but my mindset that I learned in other avenues of life there was no doubt in my mind that I could do it. And what I, what I needed to get was more experience. So I started going to the gym. I started following my own program. And, and two years later, I ended up going to Q school. I missed the first stage by one shot. First time I tried it. And the second year I went back, I breezed through, right through the final stage. I ended up, I think, around 48-something in the nation. And shot the lowest two rounds in the whole country for, for the final two rounds, but just missed by a couple of shots. And I, you know, it was just a great learning experience. All of those experiences help you become a much better coach and really players. If you, you've been there, right. you've done it, you, you have, you know, you can, you can really uh, share experiences with people and uh, let them know how difficult it actually is and not to be disappointed if you don't succeed the first time or the second time. You've got to keep going. And uh, eventually you figure it out, how you have to do. And, and surprisingly, they'll tell you that the more experienced 
tour players would say, just don't try too hard. That's the only advice I can give you. And that's pretty yeah, hard, no pretty hard, <laughs> pretty hard advice. But you know, when you if, once you really know how good you really are, then you can kind of take that mindset into a qualifying type situation and just play your game and and see what happens. And if you're you know you keep your mind in the right place and you trust yourself, you're probably going to have a really good outcome. But, and if you force it, you're not. <laughs> so I did that. I traveled around for a few years, went to Europe, played senior tour stuff in Europe, and uh, tried to qualify for the European senior tour, didn't make it, came back and dedicated myself to coaching. And that would be around 2003. So from 2003 until now, I've been full-time at it. And I now have, uh, uh, well, in 2007, I set up an indoor facility that was small. It was probably 1,600 square feet. We had two hitting bays and a putting green and a small gym. And uh, that was going so well that I kept it going, and then I expanded it, moved to a bigger place. And then finally, in 2016, I bought the building I'm in now and uh, stepped, really stepped out on a limb. And uh, we bought an 8,000-square-foot building smack dab in the middle of the city. And it's got two wow. floors, full gym. It's got five bays. It's got a full-size putting and chipping area. It's got a dedicated putting lab upstairs. Uh, we do club fitting. It's a it's a, an, an over million dollar a year business, and the business of the building has doubled in value since I bought it. So wow. it, it's a good story, <laughs> and I have, story. I have five really good guys that work for me uh, with me, and uh, I set them up as independent contractors. So and I help them build the business, and it's a great you know it's got a great atmosphere to the place. Everybody supports each other. We talk, you know, we share information about students. And, yeah, we have a full-time trainer that is is really great. Uh, he's a guy at level three. He's got a university degree in kinesiology. And uh, the part that I think is really cool is he shot 10 under twice in tournaments, and he's the leader in uh, amateur, on the amateur side in the Vancouver Golf Tour. Uh, and he, yeah, he, he can play. So, yeah, it's great to have a training. Like all of our all of our staff can play well, and they have to yep. develop at some point. So we go out on the course with people. In the wintertime, we, we do the usual things. We uh, Typically, a student will come for an hour, and then they'll also go to the gym for an hour. Now, that was our program for the last four or five years, but this year with COVID, we've had to make some, some pretty big adjustments to our, our scheduling. We've been fortunate we're still doing well in business. We're probably off of the 20% uh, year over year. But that's that's pretty good considering where everyone's no at. Question. What we've done is the fitness aspect now is private, so it's actually worked out better for the trainer than doing groups financially. Yeah, for sure. But and it's just safer. We just can't have a lot of people running around the gym, you know, exhaling germs and things. And and so it's 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 worked out well. We have not had no incidents so far, and uh, uh, that's great. So we, we train basically to build strength through the winter, and we work on still work on skill development. And then in the spring, we start going outside as much as possible with the students on course, and that's worked out well too. So you actually, it's really important that you watch these kids play because you're going to find out it's a very humbling experience sometimes. <laughs> yeah, oh sure. Well, I, I think the thing that I like about it and what you do is, as I've watched and paid attention. You know, is I had a similar vision, came to it a different way. But I, you know, one like 
the format of it, you know, as I, I started, you know, hanging around guys that were real good players or tour players, and, you know, I got exposed to it, and I'd go out there, and I, I'd see how they had the fitness, and, you know, and then uh, then they'd be exposed to biomechanics kind of came on the scene, and then, you know, and you had some short game, and you had the fitting, and I was like, well, why why don't we do this for juniors, right? You know, why don't they, why they wait to get exposed to this until they're late in college? You know, if we could provide this for young people, think how much further ahead they'd be when they get there. And I always look back, you know, I get selfishly at myself, and I'm like, man, if I would have had that when I was in middle school and high school, heck, I might not be doing this podcast, right? You know, I mean, so I love that aspect of it. And then the way you formatted it with the winner, because that's the same way, like, I work with, my tour players is heck you know in the winter or in the short off season but like that's when we do the stuff where you change a skill or you work on changing something like we're not out there trying to do that in june when it's a week before the u.s open you know unless they totally fall off the truck you know and so uh and, and i think there's a lot to learn from the way you structured it and the way that the best players in the world do and then lastly like you combine what you learn from other sports and the way we you train to be an Olympic athlete and you know golf when I was growing up wasn't that way. I mean it was you know you take no, a lesson no, and got seen on a sapphire and you watch it and there were some good teachers and I'm not putting down any of the people that helped me until I got late in high school and had was fortunate to have a great teacher and Mark Wood and then but you know I think now we understand more about what other sports do and why they're successful. And I think the best teachers are applying those principles to training golfers rather than just sprinters or athletes or hockey players or whatever. Yeah, I think I think that we're more organized. I think that you have to have a plan uh, mm-hmm. for, each, for each individual, and each individual is different. And people say, well, what's your program? I say, well, my program is, is pretty much 100% custom designed. I, I can't I, – I don't – I can't tell you exactly what my program is until I know more about your kid and tell until I know what they need based on where they want to go and where they are now. I can certainly give you some very clear direction on what kind of time commitment you're going to need, what how you're going to measure your progress, whether it's being successful or not. We can create a plan that's specific to that to your goals and, and you know, if you want to go to a D three school, that's different than going to Stanford. And the time commitment you know, how good are your marks in school and setting realistic goals. I'm very upfront with people. I usually sit down with a new family and talk for an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. And I, I make it really, really clear that we're really serious here. And if you're not working and you're not doing things you're supposed to be doing, you'll know, and it's going to be a big waste of your parents' money, and it isn't going to work out because uh, I want I, – I will actually ask somebody – to go to a different academy if they're not doing the work. I'll just say, you know, it doesn't reflect well on our academy if your performance is bad and it's not improving. But more importantly, it's just you should find a better use of your time because you're not going to be successful. And that isn't good for kids. You want to have have kids in a program, some kind of a stream where they're having success all the time and and they're learning going forward. But if they're in a, you know, if you're a a golfer, a, a new golfer and you're in an academy full of elite players and you're always coming in last, that's hard on your mind. Right? Yeah. And that's not a positive that's not a positive. So you wanna we wanna have you know help we want people here that want to strive for success and uh, all the teachers have to keep getting better too. Like I'm still learning and I still 
try to figure out better ways of doing things. And if I'm not progressing, I don't see how I can continue a long-term relationship, you know, and have and continue to help someone. So we have kids typically, like I have kids right now that have been with for seven or eight years, and they're 13, 14 years old. They started with their six or seven, and three of the cases they're, they're junior world champions. And so I have a lot of pressure on me, and they have pressure on themselves because they, they always have a target on their back when they go in a tournament. <laughs> right. And we have, you know, and the parents are, oh, you know, well, geez, no. <laughs> the kid shoots 300 and came second, and that's bad. That's not so bad. <laughs> you know? Right, right. You're not going to win every time. And uh, uh, it's, good that, it's good that you don't win every time. Otherwise, you get complacent. And so, anyway, that's that's kind of what I do. And now I'm kind of trying to taper off the people, I, I the juniors that I take on, because I'm not going to be doing this forever. And I think, you know, but what I, I do is I, I bring them into the academy, set them up with one of our coaches, and I, I act as a, I act as the next-door neighbor, Butch Harmon, if I have to, right? You can get, yeah. give you good advice and keep you on track, keep them in the academy, keep the academy business going strong. And then, strangely enough, what I've been starting to do a little bit of is to take adults that, you know, love golf, maybe your typical guy that's somewhere between 75 and 85 and you can't figure stuff out and set all kinds of lessons. And, you know, it's somebody that doesn't want to come two or three times a week. They just, you know, they're looking for some help. And I actually enjoy that because you're helping, you're helping them enjoy their life more and they're getting something out of it. And uh, I kind of see that as a, as a new direction for me going forward where I can work two or three days a week and do some of that, and uh, and I can take a few days off and go play some golf or fishing or whatever I want to do. That's kind of... There's kind nothing, of, wrong, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no. I, well, I'm just going to say, you know, I think that, you know, the things that really caught my attention were, one, that you were honest with the kids. And I think in this culture, and I don't think it applies to just juniors, but I think it applies to anybody wanting to get better, Rob. Like, I think, you know, I'll have people come to me and, you know, kids or whatever, and, like, I think honesty is always better to tell them where they really stand, right? I don't think telling a person that, man, everything you got's great, and, man, we can get you to shoot 68 in a month if you just sign up for this series does anybody any good because they, one, I don't think they understand necessarily where they are as well as do they understand, like, how hard it is to become a good player, you know, um, and I I, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. That's part uh, of our culture now. Everybody gets a trophy, right? Being yeah, right. we're definitely not able to <laughs> to tell people. Uh, you know, you don't get participation points. It's right. it's uh, the thing about our industry, Tony, and the thing about golf instruction and our, our general industry of instruction is that things need to be in context. So what I mean by that is that if you're set up to be a tour coach or you're set up to be a coach of elite juniors and that is your specialty area and that's what you do. Your program and the way you work and do things is going to be different than somebody doing group lessons and somebody that's doing, you know, different the different aspects of your business. Not everybody wants to be a player, you know, and it is so competitive right now that you have to impress. It's very hard to communicate this with to kids. Parents understand it, but kids generally don't. Like, here's an example. I had a girl come in about two weeks ago, really fit, awesome kid, been playing golf off and on for about two years. And she's really bright in school, and she wants to go to an Ivy League school, and she wants to play golf. And she shoots about mid-80s. I said, okay, 
let's look at this. I'm going to show you what this looks like. I'm going to go through the Ivy League schools with you and the coaches and how many players they're looking for each year and how many applicants they get uh, for those positions. And this is what those applicants look like. But basically, when it gets down to the final choice of two or three, the coach is in a position like where they usually have five or six, and any one of them would be a good pick. But their profile looks like this. This is what their golf track record looks like. This is what their academic record looks like. And this is what their personal profile in terms of community interest and involvement and things look like. And the kids are like their jaw drops and the parents' jaw drops. And so, so you should know going into this competition, it's probably as hard or if not harder than getting a PGA Tour card. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to be the person that's going to sit here and say you shouldn't set this goal you shouldn't try to do this. But I am the person that's going to say this is what your week is going to look like for the next three years. And if you're prepared to do that, we're prepared to support it and see. And along the way, you'll know if you're succeeding or not. And you'll know within three to six months if, if you're moving forward pretty quickly and, uh, or, and where, you know, where, where you need to be. I said, I've got a wall full of kids here that have been, gone to Ivy League schools and Stanford and, and you name it. A couple of guys now playing PGA Tour golf. Uh, I've seen most of most of what can happen, and there, I can tell you in, their, in those kids' cases, like this girl had that made it Stanford, just just a regular kid from a regular neighborhood without a lot of money, and she worked her butt off, and she basically her life consisted of golf and school and studying, and that was like that from age 12 right through until she went to Stanford. And one of the coolest things that happened was the, the last lesson I gave her before she went to Stanford. It's kind of like I, uh, I wasn't going to see her for a little while. And she came in with a nice gift, and then she, she said, guess what I did today? And I said, what? And she said, I learned how to ride a bicycle. And she's 18, 19 years old. I learned how to ride a bicycle. What? You've never ridden a bicycle? No, I never had time for it. Well, why did you do it now? She said, because I, prob- I can't afford a car, and I'm going to need to ride a bike around Stanford. Wow. <laughs> how cool is that, though? Right? <laughs> You know, that that reminds me of, I'm obviously down in Alabama country, and Nick Saban, you know, I'm not an Alabama fan, but I think he's a genius as a coach, so I follow him, right? And, uh, you know, I saw an interview where he said that, like, you know, everybody talks about having a bunch of choices, and I'm paraphrasing, but that if you really want to be great, there really aren't, you don't really have choices. There's one way to do it. You got to be dedicated in your whole life, and everything has to consist towards being great. And I think that's kind of what you're speaking to with these kids is you've got to have a plan, but you can't. Like, that's where it's about being truthful. If they really want to play major Division One golf, they want to go to Stanford, or they, like, you know, you can get there, but it, but it isn't going to be easy. And it isn't just taking one golf lesson a month and going to chip and putting once in a while and playing a few junior tournaments. Like, there are sacrifices geared towards that. And, and, I, and I, that's what I respect about you is, like, you've got the plan, but, you know, you're not afraid to tell a parent that either, whereas a lot of people will just say, yeah, I can get your kid there. And, like, realistically, you're not doing the kid any service or the parent any service if you don't tell them what it really takes. Well, we're in a position, you know, Tony, I think we talked about context. I mean, if you're a, a teacher that's trying to build your business and you don't have a lot of income coming in, those choices are tougher to make, you know. You, you probably, sure. you probably got to do what you got to do. I'm in a position now, age-wise and financially, where I, I don't need money, and and so that's not that's motivating me, right? It's it's right. my reputation, my reputation, and success for the student. Those are things that matter, and I see it both ways. I, I just hired a new guy 
recently. He did, didn't have a lot of business, and, and we, within I guess three months now, he's he's making a pretty good living. And uh, you know that the programs that we create for him are a little different than our senior guys, but you know it's in, in time he'll he'll get there. And he's actually a former former tour caddy, and uh, he went to college, played golf in college. And uh, he's, he's a member of PGA and he's played some pro events. He's won six times local stuff. Just a really good guy, really smart. And, you know, a good investment of time for me to, to help, help him develop his business. My hope is that I can keep this building and I can keep these great teachers in the future and uh, keep the business going. And I have a place, I always have a place to come and teach and I have a place to, you know, for them to teach and maybe make a little income from that, you know, in my retirement. Last question, because you've seen over the 20 years, and as you've grown, and as you've seen like now, you've gone from a little space to a big space and the cost of the technology. You see the younger generation of teachers going up. And this isn't a guy saying, you know, back in the good old days when the beer was colder or whatever, but do you like the direction instruction's going, and do you like the direction? Do you think golf's in a better place instruction-wise now than it was when you started? That's a really, really good question. And again, I'm going to come back to you with my my thing, which is, you know, the question needs to be in, and the answer needs to be in a context. Uh, I would, it would probably surprise a lot of people, like we have every piece of technology that is on the market. At one time or another, they'll do like gears. We've got TrackMan coming out of our ears. We've got high-speed video, you know, uh, hack motion. It, you name it, we have it. But the truth is, is that, I don't use it a lot. I More than anything, I use TrackMan, and students using TrackMan. Pretty much every shot they hit indoors, they're getting immediate feedback on, and there's also video running. But for better players, like for players who are developing and they're you know already really good, conversation is still pretty old school, if you know what I mean. I break a golf swing down into three basic components and three basic movements. So... Okay, we've got lateral movement or linear movement. We've got uh, what's called horizontal motion. We've got rotational movement, pivotal movement of the body. And we've got the up and down movement of the arm. So we've got vertical force, rotational force, horizontal force. So if I look at a player's swing, uh, I have a pretty good idea of what forces they're using and which ones they're not using and which ones would produce a better path and a better, you know. And it could come down to just basically breaking it down and say, look, your trail leg isn't loading correctly, so therefore it can't unload correctly to get your path and your attack angle where it could be, you know, and you could swing with less effort and you could get more distance and more consistent ball flight. So what it comes down to is identifying what segment of the body isn't well-trained or what part of the brain first isn't understanding exactly what they're supposed to be working on and, and you know, how to get the most out of it. Now, that to me is not... Like we don't, I, I, I had a gear system and I gave it up after a year. It's very time consuming, fantastic information, great product, but too time consuming and too much detail, you know, too confusing for people. We can, we've got to keep nope. it simple. We have to keep it don't simple. Don't yeah. So, so here's how I can summarize it. I can say, well, I think that it's essential for a coach that wants to be doing what we're doing to have a great understanding of the mechanics and a great understanding of the brain the more education, the better. But you have to have you know, the other skill, which is you have to understand how the person learns and create an environment that where they can discover and learn, you know, on their own. And you can you can give them reassurance. Like, 
you see the tracking is saying that you're doing that better. It feels you're telling me that it felt really good. It felt effortless. It felt so we're talking a lot about feels and uh, not positions and not numbers. And you know when basically I don't want people thinking a lot while during their golf swing. I want them to you know I, I think Pia and Lynn have a, a great system where you've got think box and play box, and I, I believe right. strongly. I believe very strongly in that. And so when you step into the box, pull the trigger, go, and then evaluate what you did. Step out, do whatever you want. When you step in, you're committed, go, right? And then you keep working that so they can they can hit the golf ball. And they're not going to be standing there waggling for 20 or 30 seconds, <laughs> you know, to, right. to hit, hit the shot. So you have that aspect of, you know, the, the arguments are online all the time about old school golf versus modern new school golf. And really... You have to use old. There's not a lot wrong with a lot of the old school techniques. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, uh, they made sense. And when you understand the science, and you look back at Hogan's book, or you look back at some of the older books that were written by like Jim Lick and so on, you have much better understanding of what they were trying to say. You know, Correct. Say, yeah, you know that's that's valid. That that definitely, you know, that, that like when Hogan was quoted as saying recently. Look, if I want to hit the ball farther, I, I want to get taller faster. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So you mean vertical force, <laughs> right? Right. You need to extend your right. body. Use the ground, right? Yeah, that's how you do taller faster. You use the ground and you pivot faster, <laughs> and, and it pulls your hand path upward, which helps you release your club faster. And yeah, that makes sense. But but right. 20 years ago, when people were reading that book, they had no idea what that meant or what it would do to the hand path, and yeah, so having the, having the knowledge of the mechanics is essential. It makes your job a lot easier. Being able to measure, like this is the big difference in instruction. I would estimate that 5% of all people out there teaching golf are using a measurement system like a launch monitor or, mm-hmm. or, or something like that. If you're not measuring, you're guessing. Correct. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to hear somebody say, ah, hell, all I need is the ball flight to tell me what's going on. Well, then you're a real genius, you know. <laughs> But do you know if that ball flight is do you know that ball flight is op- optimal? <laughs> I don't. I've been doing this for twenty years. <laughs> I think one of the scary things about measuring for people and people that don't necessarily like it is like it'll show you really if the player's getting better, right? If you don't measure, you, it's hard sometimes. You can stand there on the range and tell the guy that seven iron's going further, or that it's hit more solid, or it's whatever. But, you know, you measure it and you pull those numbers up from the first swing to the last. I mean, you can't hide, right? That's right. Uh, That's right. And, and it's the same thing with, you know, swing catalysts and traces and measuring forces and all that. Like, And it doesn't matter whether it's a 15 handicapper or a, an elite junior or a tour player. Like, I mean – tells you whether a guy's getting better right and and i think that's the you know i think that's the good part about technology is like and and it's so it also kind of checks us a little bit you know like uh you know that was my frustration with other people i've been around and some of the you know a country club where a guy just goes leans on a seven iron and bullshit telling everybody that these irons are great for them it's going further when they're not measuring or they're or they're you know, yeah, you're hitting it way better, man. It looks great. You know, nothing's really changed, right? And you, you know, right. But you can prove it. You know, when you can measure, you have to prove it. And I think that makes the player better. Rob, this has been awesome. Fun to sit down with you, as always. The only thing I want to hold you to is at some point when things get back to normal, 
we've got to sit and have a bottle of good red wine. I know we both enjoy that and have a good dinner somewhere once things return to normalcy. I would like nothing better than to do that.